Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, The 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome, and remember, beware, because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Oh, now for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Would you like to learn more about what it's like to be a speaker? to be a motivational coach, or better yet, become a poet. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a humorist, to make people laugh with you, and maybe sometimes at you? You never know. (laughs) Do you ever wish you could meet someone who's been an award-winning Toastmaster International speaker? Tell me, are you ready to make some big changes in your life? Are you ready to learn some helpful lessons? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So now it's time to sit back and relax. Go get some wine, get some cheese and crackers. And so now you can join me in the no wine zone. Now let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. He is an uncle, a poet, a Wall Street Journal veteran who believes success is about confidence and listening. That means listening to other people. Right now he is enjoying the world through an uncle's perspective. He uses the right blend of humor to encourage people to enjoy responsibility for their personal and for their professional life. He is a renowned author with books that specialize in positive messages and affirmations. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome to our podcast, Uncle (laughs) Sporty King. Hi, Sporty. How are you doing? (laughs) Um, As we say on Zoom. (laughs) <laughs> gotcha, buddy. Gotcha, buddy. <laughs> this is so exciting to have you back with us and to help me start up this new adventure, this live Talk for TV network. I'll be doing this podcast live now every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to talk4tv.com and you can turn in every Tuesday throughout the year. Sporty. It's so nice to have you back with us and to share your many success stories. First of all, let me ask you a question. How did you do during the pandemic? How did it work out for you? It worked out 
just fine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. One of the things I always say is that it is so important that you CYA. Choose your attitude. <laughs> and and the thing is, uh, you, you know, it, it'll come up later in our conversation, but I, I use what I call occupational hazard, uh-huh. and that is as a motivational speaker, I my occupational hazard is, okay, you're in the business of being positive. So when there seems to be a negative situation, you need to be one of the people on the front line being positive. So, uh, so you know, I pretty much jumped right into being positive when it happened because, you know, because of my faith, I'm also, you know, a believer in being patient and, mm-hmm. and being calm and say, okay, what's getting ready to happen here? And, uh, again, what can I do to keep other people stable and calm while I'm doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really quite an adjustment for everyone. And I think we're finally now starting to settle in and to get back a rhythm uh, and try to get back to our life the way it used to be. You know, uh, this last weekend was Mother's Day weekend, and of course, I had a wonderful weekend. I heard from all of my four kids and many of my friends, and you sent me last week an interesting uh, article about the history of Mother's Day, which I found just fascinating, and I know you put it in your uh, golden yellow brick road. So could you share a little bit about that history of Mother's Day with our listeners? Oh, my God. I I have to give credit where credit is due, and that is I consulted Dr. Google. And and you know what? I, I found, because what happens is um, I, I was really shooting off this message to you and, and quite a few people who I send my weekly broadcasts to, uh-huh. And I said, what can I put in here and, and to go along with the with the messages? And I said, I said, gosh, who started Mother's Day? Yeah. And oh, and I must apologize, I cannot remember her name. It's, uh, it's Anna Jarvis. Thank Anna you. Jarvis. I had <laughs> yeah. it. I was reading it before the show, and it's fascinating because you know we always have Mother's Day, but you don't really realize how it began and. What a difficult time she had uh, promoting it, didn't she? And see, that's the key. And that's actually the thing that startled me the most because uh, since she wanted to give that tribute to her mother and then extend it to other mothers, then you had people who wanted to complain about, you know, how much they should be honoring someone else's mother and and should should the apostrophe be before the S or after the S. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so uh, she, it, it became almost like her crusade, uh-huh. uh, you know, to, to get it, to get it really accepted and, and used properly. And sadly she ended up, it didn't end up well for her, but what she did for other mothers and mothers throughout the world has been a wonderful uh, commemoration and holiday. Now, let me ask you a little question about now that you are an uncle. Now, how did this come about, Uncle Sporty? <laughs> well, let us first say that I obviously did not put in all the work. <laughs> Being an uncle, yeah, you, you get to inherit the, the title of uncle. But I've, I've got actually 38 nieces and nephews, and I'm talking about going all the way down to great 
I'm a great great uncle because I have a great nephew who has two children. Oh, okay. And, okay. And, and I, I do always laugh when I introduce myself that way. Yeah, I've got 38 nieces and nephews, and then people are like, wow. I say, oh, God, don't be impressed. I didn't put in the work. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think uncle is, is kind of similar um, to what I'm experiencing as being a grandmother because I've got seven grandkids, and, you know, they're wonderful. You have them. You spoil them. You enjoy them. <laughs> And then when things go south, you hand them back to their parents. <laughs> and, and and that's the thing that I, I crack up laughing about is because even after I joke about, hey, I didn't put in the work, I then say, but I put in the work now. Now, yes. And because I know how important it is for my nieces and nephews to have a good uncle. And I know how important it is for my brothers and sisters to have that respite from, mm-hmm. you know, being having to be so responsible them, you know, what can, you know, things that we don't say to our parents, we have to have a decent outlet for sharing that so that children can learn to exercise their emotions. And and I got to say one thing, especially when I was, uh, because I became an uncle in my 20s. And so in that time period, as my, uh, and I was living in New York, if my nieces and nephews came over, my joke was the first thing I would do is similar to what you just said is I check for their return receipt. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know what I I hear you. I hear you for sure. Uh, And it's so important for young people in this difficult time that we're going through to have mentors, to have people Mm -hmm. that they can look up to people that they can count on and people that can give them sound, steady advice. Uh, it's so important for all children to have that. Um, speaking about advice, I'm going to share with our listeners my book, Thou Shalt Not Wine, The 11th Commandment. And I so hope that you will take this as a little bit of advice. Do not whine. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shalt Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shalt Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. Welcome back to No Wine Zone with my guest, Uncle Sporty who is definitely not a whiner because he's a winner. And Sporty, before we go on, could you share with our listeners your contact information, how they can find you and follow you, and what you have to offer at your website for them? Sure. It's uh, SportyKing.com. 
you know, very creative. And even as I joke about that, that is one of the blessings that I try to tell people, you know, embrace your name because it's it's a part of who you are. And, and that's the type of information and encouragement you'll get from my site where I also, I'll have some articles, some videos of, of myself and my services and, and then also my retention materials. I have eight books of inspirational messages. Four of them are poetry. Two of them are uh, affirmations. One of them is a storyline. And then there's a, the, the eighth one is what I call something I created called affirmations. Okay. And yeah, affirmations are acronyms that are actually affirmations because okay. instead of just using the word and making a word for each letter, I let the words that I make for each letter define the word. And and then one I'll even put on with us because I know you might want to talk about is joy. And what is joy? It's J O Y, that there's just one you. Okay. Okay. And as you know, I love acronyms and <laughs> I'm a, I'm addicted to acronyms and alliteration along the way. My you've been on the show before, so some of our regular listeners know your backstory. But for our new listeners, could you give us a little uh rundown on how your success story began and what happened to you when you were a young boy? Well, you know, I I think it's beautiful, um, you know, how to, to, to touch on the young and skip to the old. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I, so I really, I look at, you know, how your introduction of me and I thank you for that because that really kind of sets it up with just a little bit of a reverse. Uh, you know, my intro says, becoming a motivational speaker and a poet. Well, I became a poet first and then transferred that into my use of positive words to become a motivational speaker. And and then so taking that back, the poetry, the etymology of the poetry was I, I, I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised in Harlem. Mm-hmm. I won an ABC scholarship. ABC is a better chance. And, that, and I definitely want to say and give them that shout out because that, program is still active oh, and it sends, yeah, sends um, kids to private schools. So um, I went away to a, a, an all boys Jesuit private school in Massachusetts and that's where I actually started my love of poetry. Okay. So see, so it, so it, like I said, it has a nice connection that you can jump right from there to where I am now and see the continuity in your life. And again, something that I try to remind people it's you have been who you are all along. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Find that, enjoy it, and embrace it. Yeah. I, too, had a uh, Jesuit education for which I am eternally thankful for. Tell me, how was it when you got there? Because obviously at a Jesuit Catholic school back then, you were definitely a minority how did it work out for you to fit in with the other boys? Were they welcoming or were you bullied? It was a wonderful combination of how present day we've gone through terms, uh, you know, whether it's civil rights or um, diversity and inclusion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, racial sensitivity. I was doing <laughs> diversity and inclusion back in 69 when I was 14. And mm-hmm. so I was one of seven black students in a 200 student population. Okay. And, and then my second year, I was one of five. And my third year, one of three, you know, as the school's population, the school eventually did go bankrupt. But the joy in it 
is that, I, again, I can trace that back to who I am as a person because, yes, there were people who were not accepting of me, mm-hmm. but there were so many more who were accepting. And as young kids, when we were, I think we we're at our purest uh, state of expressing what we believe, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I had some young kids who, you know, really, you know, said to me, well, you know what, I, I didn't even know black people could be friendly. And when that happened, I definitely remember I did not get upset. I was like, wow. And I had to realize at a young age, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking, oh, diversity. I wasn't thinking at a young age, but I was like, oh, okay, well, let me show you and let me tell you. And we became great friends. And I think that, to, so I fast forward that to today to say sometimes as grownups, we just, we're not really accepting of the fact that people's backgrounds impact who they become. And there is a void sometimes where you just don't understand what somebody else's stand is because you have no experience with that type of person, that type of atmosphere, you know, or whatever. So I, I really value that education and that environment because it's, it's really had a profound effect on my life. And I think it's helped me connect with people as I've gone along in my life. And I'm, I'm sure for many of the uh, young students there, you were probably the first uh, black uh, boy but friend that they ever met. And so it was a new experience for all of you. I know uh, I went to all-girl Catholic school too, and there were five gals in our class who mm-hmm. also were experiencing uh, Catholic education the way you did. And um, it's uh, quite a learning experience for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, and I wish I had a a picture, one of the pictures that I use in my presentations, Mm -hmm. not of me, but of a a little black boy and a little white boy hugging. And and the caption is, racism is taught. Oh, and, and, and it's shown, you know, kids, you know, unless you tell them, that they shouldn't be in that position, they don't see it. They just see another kid. And, and I really did have that type of an experience in my early days. Uh, and, I, and I have to track that back to my, my mother and, and where I grew up. You know, again, some people may have the stereotype of, oh, Harlem, is, oh, it's gangs and drugs and black people. But it was a wonderful mix of people. And, and I grew up in an area where we had, you know, a great, um, diverse area of, of people and friends. And so it, it was not totally unusual for me to be in that so, you know, sea of white environment. But, you know, not, you know, I was more used to being on the majority side, but I was not unfamiliar, you know, with white people and et cetera. So, you know, it's just a lot of things that, you know, if you sit back, you can go back. And then the key is you've got to go back and look at the blessing instead of the cool. problem. You know, recently my husband and I just went to see uh, a revival of that wonderful musical, South Pacific, and that wonderful song that you've got to be taught just rings so loud and clear and true now as we're going through difficult times. Um, Children are very susceptible to all kinds of suggestions, so it's so important to be positive with little people these days. 
Um, share with us a little bit about what happened after you left uh, the Jesuit education world, and you made your way to the Wall Street Journal, which I think is just a fascinating story. Could you share that with us? Sure, and I, I got to give them credit for that because back then, of course, we called it dropping out, right? Because <laughs> I, I went to college, but I didn't stay. As, as I tell people, uh, I lasted three semesters, but I tell people I, I majored in social life. <laughs> I think we could have gone to school together, dear. <laughs> I didn't graduate either, but I sure had a great social life. <laughs> had a ball. And I, and I give the credit to the Jesuit education. Mm-hmm. I had such a good education in high school. I, I actually was not challenged in college in my freshman year based on the education I got from my Jesuit high school, half or whatever percentage, but because there's another part of that percentage where just like where you went to an all-girls, I went to an all-boys school, and then I get to college and it's co-ed. You know, I lost my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, girls, again, you know, on a daily basis. And so I, I didn't focus. But the joy in it is that once I – Left, left college in Jan, uh, December of 1974. Mm-hmm. In January of 1975, see, my mother was not the type, oh, you left school, you know, okay, you can sit around and, and get yourself together. But, okay, get up and find a job. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you home. Bye. She used yeah. to say, if you sit outside in the hall, and then come back at five, that's fine. Said, but you're not going to stay in here. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to actually go act to state employment at the time, and, and I was uh, plugged into the Wall Street Journal and okay. where they had a job opening for a messenger. Okay. Now, and how old were you then? So what was I then? So I was 18. No, I was, I was 19 going on 20. Okay. Great. Right. Mm-hmm. And and as and as I as I look at even again as as just like you talk about having guidance for our young people today and and as the mindset right, I could have easily said a messenger. Excuse me, I have some college, <laughs> my three semesters right, <laughs> but I was like cool, and I went I interviewed. Um, rest in peace, Joe Fiorentino hired me. Uh, just a, uh, he was a great manager, mentor, and friend. And I actually worked at the journal for 18 years, oh, wow. starting as a messenger, and uh-huh. then through seven promotions and eight job titles. When I retired, uh, and two relocations from New York to Washington D.C. and from D.C. to Chicago, where uh-huh. I tired, retired as a regional advertising sales manager for classified advertising. Oh, what an amazing career you've had. You know, we're going to uh, take a break, and I want to share some information about my Kennedy books. But when we come back, we're going to continue talking about your Wall Street Journal experience. Right now, we're going to hear about who killed Kennedy, who had the motive, the means, and the money to commit the perfect crime of the last century. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before 
but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. We're back now with Uncle Sporty King. And Sporty, share with us uh, what, after 18 years of a fabulous career with the Wall Street Journal, what prompted you to make a change? What prompted you to try to do something different with your life? What was your motivation, dear? One of the things I believe is that if we wait for anger, or, or displeasure to make a decision that sometimes that's too late. It, it's so important to have a more conscious control of your life and, and make decisions while you're in a good mood and thinking forward. And my career at the Wall Street Journal, I, I never let it get to an anger part, you know, where I was, oh man, I'm, you know, because some of you, oh, I'm sick of corporate America, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I had just, you know, gotten to know myself so well partially through my Wall Street Journal at Corporate America experience, and I mm-hmm. saw that I was at a spot where it was time for me to move on. So that's actually why I left the journal, because I said, you know what, I've made it. I'm a you know, regional advertising manager. The next step is to be a national manager. And I didn't feel that I was there. I didn't really want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted the more creative lifestyle. And so that's what I did is I decided to use my poetry and, and my gifts, as, as, as they say with entrepreneurs, stepping out on faith. I said, you know what, I'm going to let this be my guiding light and let this be what my gift is to the world is to just use my poetry and uplift people's lives. And I, and I took that chance, and it's now been 28 years. I, I have no regrets whatsoever. Wow. Well, one of your stepping stones is one of the fascinating parts of your story is your connection with Toastmasters International. And that is such a marvelous uh, adventure and story. Could you share a little bit of that with our listeners? Sure. That I left the journal in October of 1994. Mm-hmm. In the following, uh, it, well, almost immediately, in fact, um, I joined Toastmasters. Actually, I joined the National Speakers Association first because I was going to be a speaker. But they said, no, we help you market speaking in business. For you to get practice at speaking, join Toastmasters. And so I joined Toastmasters, and then I entered in in 1995, I entered, they have an annual contest called the World Championship of Public Speaking, and it's called the the, uh, Toastmasters International Speech Contest. So I 
enter the speech contest, and you have to win at your club, area, division, district, region, and then you compete in the world championship to be one of the top nine speakers in the world. And that's that was the progression that I made from uh, uh, 1995 to competing in 1996 and finished as one of the top nine speakers in the world. Wow. So, and now, uh, explain how it, Toastmasters works. Do you do you go every week to a meeting, or how does the process evolve? You actually go to, we'll have to give them a shout-out, you actually go to their website, toastmasters.org. It's either .org or .com, but you, just, you put in your zip code, and it tells you uh, how many clubs meet in your area and at what time and how often. So there's no set. Uh, Toastmasters formula of when you meet and how you meet. Each club is different. You have clubs that are housed by corporations, by the company, and then you have clubs that are uh, uh, public clubs that are, you know, renting space somewhere that anybody can join. The the private clubs, the corporate clubs, usually just the employees. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, um, could you share a little bit about the speech that you uh, that took you to this uh, international competition? And- oh, my. thank you for asking, because that is one of my favorite. It happens to also be my, my pet charity, uh, heyugly.org. Okay. And that's what's H-E-Y-U-G-L-Y.org. And the, the speech that I use in my regional competition to take me to the world championship was called How to Be Ugly. And that's also taken us back to where I talked about my affirmations, because as it turns out, ugly is an affirmation for unique, gifted, lovable you. And and so it talks about how important it is to change a negative into a positive. Okay. And And so that was the speech that took me to the world championship. Great friend of mine. Loved the speech so much that she, you know, Betty Hefner, she turned it into a movement. And it has now been a thriving nonprofit uh, organization now. Oh, I forgot what year we started it, but it's uh, heyugly.org. So thank you, because I happen to definitely give them a shout out. It's doing great, by the way, great work with helping teenagers and, t- and tweens. Teen- tweens are just before you get to teenager, dealing with suicide, substance abuse, especially bullying was where we, we started it all. And, but it's not just something just for kids. It's something, the kids are the primary focus, but just as we talked about at the beginning, being grandmothers and uncles, adults, when we refresh adults, we touch children's lives. So a lot of times adults, I want to say, you go to some things that have to do with kids as a way of really getting yourself back into the alignment that you want to be in, because all of us are somebody's child. Oh, yeah. Now, another um, program that I'm fascinated with that you have become a part of and have shared with so many people is the military aspect to your career with the Yellow Ribbon Program. Tell us a little bit about how that works and who it involves. And you might not even know this, January, but so easily that Toastmasters rolls into that. See, I never served in the military but I have a friend of mine in Toastmasters, okay. <laughs> uh, Chip Lutz, who, and I give him all these shout outs. I hope none of them sue us. They won't. But, uh, <laughs> but he's retired Navy. And because I had gone to the World Championship in 96, 
years later, I was the MC for a regional competition for the next person to go to the to region to the world championship. And Chip was one of the participants, one of the contestants. Well, they had because ah, technology wasn't was what it is today. And they were having a snafu in terms of getting the, the balloting together. And they so they gave me a slip me a note say, look, we need you to stall for time. And <laughs> what, what what I did as an MC to stall for time, Chip was floored. He said, oh, this is excellent. So he asked me, you know, we became good friends. He asked me to be a keynote speaker where we met January mm-hmm. at the AATH. <laughs> Therapeutic humor, wonderful And that's how we met because that's mm-hmm. how Chip had asked me to be a keynote speaker for that as well as a session host. So mm-hmm. in the process of doing that, that was in, in uh, 2005, I believe. Then in 2009, he asked me if I would want to be on the contract team for the Yellow Ribbon Reintegration Program, which is a program uh, a sp- um, sponsored by the Department of the Defense to help our service and family members who are going through the deployment cycle. We we won the contract, and so I've been on that contract since 2010, uh, just, you know, going in and talking to military members and families before they leave for deployment and when they come back. Okay, now how much time do you spend with them before they leave? And is it the entire family? How does that work? The the events are always uh, at well ninety eight percent of the time are hosted at a hotel because what they want to do and they're usually on the weekends they want to give them a weekend from home type of experience where you can't say okay I need to go cut the grass I can no you just focus on the families the service members have to be there mm-hmm. their family members they encourage them to bring a family member depending on what phase it is. So we don't always get the whole family. We'll get however many the service member brings with them. And if they bring children, you know, if, in a, if, the, if the event sizes are all different. So if it's a huge event, they may have also some child care available as, okay. a, as a part of the agenda. And then they give the kids some different type of, uh, you know, different type of seminars and stuff like that. So it's it's just a mixed bag depending on, where they're going and which branch because i do all five branches of the service it is okay and then now you also have a welcome home program when they return and i bet that is very challenging for all these families to readjust to uh, being together again after those long separations and and you know and that and so the key is the pre-deployment so that we can talk about the uh, success with the end in mind. See, we talk about getting back together as they're getting ready to separate. Okay. And, and you're so right because when they come back, it's, it's a difficult adjustment. And please, civilian world, don't automatically, oh, poor military people, everybody's in gun, gun, uh, you know, harm's way. They're not. Our deployment can actually be, I, I had a group that were, they were deploying from South Carolina to Washington, D.C. A deployment means going to another state. And and their job, as you've seen when you see, you know, situations like Ferguson and, you know, this National um, Guard, they're housed there in case they need to be called up. 
to okay. assist the, the police. So they're not they're not necessarily uh, in a war zone. They're not necessarily you know just it's like that. But and I don't say that because one thing we say is there's no uh, deployment that less is less important than the other. Right. But right. the separation is not always a life and death situation. But it is important to recognize that that separation, you can take it back to when, you know, when we're going away to high, to high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, being separated from my family just the two or three months as a kid, you know, that was devastating for me. Well, you know what? Some of, a lot of our soldiers are in their 20s. And so their deployment may be the first time that they're separated from home. And what if they have a young family? And, and you know, they just got married. They just got kids. They're going to miss the kids different ceremonies and holidays, you know, so all of that stuff comes into play. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful uh, opportunity for you to help them. And I'm sure they all are very appreciative of it. Right now, I want to share with our listeners two books that I have written. And in these books, I share priceless personalities who have been on my show. And, of course, Sporty is one of those priceless personalities. (laughs) And his story is in this book. I hope you'll consider these books. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul? People who have faced difficult problems? People who have struggled to find solutions? People who fearlessly shared their stories? People who have not only informed you, but inspired you. People who have priceless personalities. I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories. And it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Attention all listeners. Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones, Volume 2 is now available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle editions. You'll be able to meet 10 amazing people who will be sharing their own personal stories with all their struggles, successes, and solutions sprinkled with lots of humor and hope. Priceless Personalities features a teenager who becomes one of the famous Supremes from Motown, a nurse who has a humorist helps people to heal, an inspiring laughter yoga instructor, a mother dealing with the loss of a child, an incredible motivational speaker, a woman who married five times, a gifted paranormal nurse, a wise economist, a funny female humorist, along with an older man sharing his sweet childhood in the deep south. January's guests are all amazing and amusing. You will never forget meeting them. Go to Amazon.com for your own priceless experience. Welcome back with one of my 
favorite priceless personality, Michael Sporty King. Now, Sporty, I want you to share with our listeners some of the wonderful things you are doing. Uh, I received the Golden Brick Road. It's a fun newsletter that you send out. It's one of my favorite things. Now, tell our listeners about the MMM. What happens on Monday? <laughs> ah, yes, and you can either say MMM, but you can also say mmm, because isn't that what we say when we just love digesting something? Yeah. The MMM is the Monday morning moment to keep you moving on your path to excellence. That is a one to two minute tape, uh, uh, inspirational message that I do, and I broadcast it on, at 8 o'clock a.m. on Monday mornings. Okay, wonderful. And what about glue? Wednesday. <laughs> and that's Blue Wednesday. Is, so many people say Wednesday is hump day. And I always say, yeah, that's because old school. We just said you work Monday to Friday or the weekend, right? The term flex time was not around when we were young. Right, right. Yeah, we never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's always been because there's always been people who work public transportation, hotels, restaurants, but we just didn't use it. So I laugh. I said I want to put a positive spin. So instead of calling it hump day, I say Wednesday is the middle of a traditional seven-day week, regardless of when you work. So it's the week, the day that keeps the weekend and the week beginning together. It's the glue. And then my affirmation is glue, G-L-U-E, God's love undoes everything. Not that it tears it apart, but whatever is torn apart, it will undo that tear and bring it back together. And glue it right back together. That's beautiful. And now let's talk about gift, G-I-F-T, Friday. Right, because so often people say TGIF, thank God it's Friday. But I say, what allure does Friday have to the person who took their last breath on Thursday? So what we have to do is look at Friday as a gift. And this, by the way, glue is a 35 to 40 minute interactive online. Gift is eight to 12 minutes where I will share one of my original poems. This is not an interactive one. I don't tape it. I do it live, but I read one of my poems and talk about how to use it. Similar to how wonderful you have with putting us in the book. I'm sure one of the, um, would you say you're amazing and um, amusing. Get, I'm sure I'm one of the amusing people. <laughs> Whenever you're with me, there's always a lot of laughter going on and uh, joyful sharing. Uh, okay, now let's talk a little bit about your books because I've been uh, promoting my books. And books are like children. Could you tell me, do you have a favorite mm. one? Actually, I do. Um, okay. Okay, I have a favorite, too. (laughs) My my favorite, too, are the first one. Uh, Not to say that your first child should be your favorite child, but my my first book is titled, I Found Out I'm Dying, A Celebration of Life. And it's about the fact that physically we're all dying from the day we're born. Get over it. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you hope that you die of natural causes, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it also gives me a chance. That was when I first started my speaking business because it also gave me the chance to talk about how we get caught up in the headlines of life and we miss the subtitles, which is where the real glory and the blessing is. See, I found out I'm dying. Newspapers, they give you a fantastic title 
uh, and you now oh, I got to read that story. And it's the, the title usually has nothing to do with the story or very little. It's still, you know, and so I found out I'm dying. Doesn't mean that, hey, you know, terminal illness is about to be out of here in a couple of minutes. <laughs> it's, it's about the fact that I know that one day I won't be here. So now, so read the subtitle, A Celebration of Life. Since I won't be here one day, I'm celebrating now. Yeah, you know, you're you're an expert at living in the moment, and I know all of your speaking and motivational work is geared towards that end. Let me ask you uh, another question: If you could have dinner with any one person in the world, living or dead, who would you choose to have dinner with? I tell you, you can't make this stuff up. And let's go right. <laughs> let's just rewind this tape. My mother. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, my mother has been dead 14 years now, mm-hmm. and uh, but it would be her favorite book is called Stuff Happens, and mm-hmm. and that has four life changing stories in my life. Um, you know, one is about uh, dealing with death, one is dealing with parenting, one is dealing with passion, and mm-hmm. the fourth one is dealing with change. And dealing with death, I actually call it dealing with life. And that's the first chapter of the four episodes in the book. And it, it's about my mother's, uh, you know, the, that the final months uh, mm-hmm. of her life and, and what our relationship was. And so, uh, you know, I've, and so even now, one of, again, it talks about when I talked about the occupational hazard, once she died, as much as I would have loved to just jump in and be, you know, in a grieving mode and cut the world off, you know, um, what I had to do was instead I said to myself, okay, okay, I'm 52. I've had a mother longer than any of my younger siblings. Okay. And, and, you know, so I, you know, these are kind of thoughts that I use to say, that I, you know what, look, you've got time to grieve later, but right now you've got to be there for your, your brothers and sisters and a lot of their kids, the, the nieces and nephews, my mother was like a mother to them, you know, even as a grandmother. And so I had to now make sure I was going to be that shoulder for them. And so, you know, so that's where I went. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and so now, and she was 75. And, and they say that their mother is 76, you know, or whatever number it is. I say, wow, if I could have had another year. But I'd always say I'm jealous. Whenever yeah. they say, what? Yeah, if their mothers made it past 75, I'm jealous. Because if I could have had that many more years of my mother's, you know, I would have loved it. So that, that's, that's my dinner partner. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Now that I'm approaching 79, I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm, I'm thankful for every year, every moment that I get. If you look back, uh, and I know you don't usually look back, but do you have any regret or any one thing you would do over again if you could? You, you know, January, I, I, I do look back. And so, but I, I'm glad that you said that because the key is how you look back. See, I'm, I'm not, I tell people, I'm not positive in, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I'm positive more than I'm negative. I'm up more than I'm down. I'm going forward more than I'm going backwards. Mm -hmm. However, there's nothing wrong with every now and then stepping back 
not looking back, but stepping back and just take a look at your work. You know, you know look at those blessings. Look at what you went through. Uh, you know, I, I once heard a, an Air Force chaplain, and this is through my Yellow Ribbon programs, he said the real moral behind the story of the three little pigs was not what type of a house you built, but the fact that the storm was coming. And when I heard him say that, I said, wow. And so as I say that to people, I then remind them, when that storm is over, another storm will be coming, and then another. So have you stepped back and given yourself credit for the storms that you've been through in your life? And your storm is not the same size as anybody else's. So don't decide, well, this storm is small. No, it's a storm. And so that's that's my stepping back or my looking back to just remind myself, hey, that's where you were. Look where you are now. Keep going. You've got more. You've got more. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sporty. It's been so wonderful to have you with us today. And as always, you give wonderful advice with uh, great humor. And my thought for the day is a 78-year-old senior, soon to be 79, there is no such thing as a grouchy old person. The truth is that once you get old, you stop being polite and you just get right down there and honest. Being honest about life is an amazing experience. I highly recommend it. So for now to our listeners, thank you for entering the No Wine Zone with Sporty and myself. Remember, stop whining and then start smiling. And if that doesn't work, then you can just start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. (laughs) Take care and stay safe until we meet again. And Sporty, you're always welcome, and I hope you come back soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.